Oh, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? I am doing rested. Good. Um, it's been a holiday weekend. Um, fortunate enough to have Friday off, so uh, I, I, I did exert myself a little bit on the golf course Thursday evening and Friday <laughs> morning, and then uh, my body decided to uh, demand respite, and it got it got it yesterday. Good. And bits of today too. So. Um, feeling rested but i probably could do with a little bit more but <laughs> happy that i took it all the same good how about you i think i've had about all the rest i can stand for a while oh come on now you can never have too much rest can you it's it's uh it's off and on activity is is bothering me you know yeah. have two or three days of go and get it and then three or four days of just nothing going on so a little disconcerting over the last couple of nights. You looking for a job? I, I, I think we're hiring for a few positions if you're interested. You know, uh, I've had my, I served my time. <laughs> <laughs> you had a short shank, you're not going back. Uh, well, one day, maybe one day I can sit on your side of the table yeah. and talk about retirement and it's still some ways off. You got to prepare yourself though. Yeah. Do you really retire though? Huh? Does does someone really retire, or you just find other avenues in which to apply well, your energies? Actually, what I say is, uh, I, I uh, worked for all of those years, so I could do what I God called me to do anyway. So, yeah. uh, I've never retired from ministry. I'm, uh, actually, was giving that some thought the other day, and uh, I I have known people that have. Just, uh, just don't know if I'm one of them or not. When, when you were working, were you looking forward to retirement? Actually, I was uh, trying to get to where uh, I didn't have to work. Okay. The last part, the last 15 years or so, 16, 17 years I worked, I worked because... Uh, just to be honest with you, my wife had cancer and I needed the insurance. So, mm. so but it turned out not to be. You know, they were the, the those last seventeen years were some of the most exciting years of my career, as well as some of the most lucrative. <laughs> so, yeah. the, that's what uh, that's what helped me be able to to retire. I didn't actually retire because I uh, planned to. I retired so I could be with my wife. So that's uh, uh and then uh, and I, I could. I I'll be honest with you. I had people that tried to reengage me. Yeah. <laughs> so I just uh, you know I had. Uh, I guess you're the best way to say it. I turned that page. And Ready for the next adventure. Ready for the next, the next chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's always interesting. I mean, at least for me, still somewhat, I guess, in my working prime. Um, you know, what would seem that it's at least at least what maybe twenty, thirty years away retirement for me. But still, a number of ways, I I, I do enjoy work. Um, yes, I find a, a great deal of purpose and meaning, and not just in the activities of the job, 
but I think also from the, the, the call it privilege, call it position of influence in, in influence not to control people's lives, but influence to be able to make an impact in people's lives. Yeah. Um, often I've considered if, if I would, what I would do if I wasn't doing what I am currently doing. Uh, but I'm reminded also of the platform that it affords me. And then also the the benefits of of the job. At least I have a level of flexibility in it that allows me to travel, that gives me um, the opportunity to take time off um, more readily than most people in, in traditional jobs do. Um, and then, you know, in all honesty also, I think from, from the economic reward standpoint, it, it does fund the things that are passions of mine and be able to support ministries or be able to make a difference in people's lives. Um, and then just the, the, the sheer amount of people that I can reach in talking about colleagues and, and team members as well as even potential clients um, to be able to reach them and be an example of Christ. I think um, there, there's an intriguing challenge that lies within that, 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 that keeps my attention and keeps my hunger and passion um, going. So everything... I, I thoroughly enjoy working. I love this, and uh, uh, and like I said, I, I really, I really did enjoy it. But I had been looking forward to doing something else for a long time. So I just, like I said, I just kind of it. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities over the years, just like you were talking about, I was able to to minister to a lot of people. Mm. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, I was there. I was uh, figuring out how I could get out of there one day, and the Lord spoke to me and told me, he said, you know, you keep trying to get out of here like this isn't part of your ministry. You know, you need to realize I put you here. And so it changed my whole perspective on why I was there not only did I you know not only did I like the work that I did I, I thoroughly enjoyed the interaction with the people that I got to work with so. yeah I, th I think there's a there's an important conversation that can be had about finding purpose in the workplace and I think um, one of the great misfortunes of, of, of our generation of this world is that there are a lot of people who their jobs or their employment is just that. It's a source of income. They, they really despise it. They don't want to do it, save for the fact that they have a mortgage to pay or have a family to take care about. Um, and I always enjoyed engaging young people in conversations when uh, I'm on college campuses recruiting uh, or having a chance to speak with them in, um, in a, an academic setting um, and, and, and telling people, don't just look for... Uh, a job, don't just look for a career, look for a living. Uh, and, and when you make a living, it's, there's, there's a strong alignment with purpose, there's a strong alignment with uh, uh, meaning uh, and, and being able to find that. And don't get me wrong, there, there's an element of work that you have to put in. It's not every single day and every single moment that might feel like it's a glorious thing. But when you're aligned with purpose, when you face obstacles, you're not inclined to back off. You're not inclined to stop. It, it is a, there's something weird about it that when you're aligned in purpose, 
obstacles just really fire you up to to keep pushing to find ways around through over that situation and i think a lot more people will find a lot more happiness in their lives a lot more satisfaction if they can just take the moment and try to really uncover what's their purpose and how aligned is what they do with their jobs because quite plainly speaking you know <coughs> even if it's just 40 hours a week that is the majority of your waking hours it's a lot of 40 time. hours that you're going to be spending at a job and most people will end up working most of their lives then they wouldn't be right so it's 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 almost a question of if that is going to consume so much of your human existence then maybe it's worth the time to figure out how purposeful and how meaningful that job is beyond just being able to help you pay the bills. You know, one of the things that I've watched people do over years, and, I, and I've been in the workforce. I wasn't in the workforce for a long time. I've been working on a job, making my own living since I was 16 years old. But uh, a lot of people have it in their mind made up what they want to do or some how much they want to make and they just won't do anything until they find that spot you know mm. and sometimes they don't ever find that spot so i always uh you know I, from a young age i've had a family so my my goal was to provide for my family mm -hmm. so I did a lot of things that I didn't want to do. And, uh, you know, even with some of the skills I had, there were years that uh, those skills weren't needed. So I had to do something else, you know, when I was doing construction. And uh, not only did it give me a wide range of skills, but it gave me a wide range of knowledge. And I didn't realize it, but I was being prepared to do what I did for the last 15 years of my mm -hmm. <laughs> because that that broad base of knowledge and uh, skill set uh, put me in the place to where actually uh, I had a I, I I just have to be honest with you the last 15 years I worked I had an absolute blast you know and uh, uh, and it you know it makes you makes you feel good when people appreciate what you do mm -hmm. and when uh, when you appreciate the people around you and <coughs> obstacles are not the same for everybody some some people whenever they find an obstacle they they use that as an excuse not to do anything you know and and but I've I've, I've been like I've watched you over the last years and watched you uh, through a, go through some of those things but uh, obstacles to me are the same. Once you have something in front of you, I, 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 it just re ignites something, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes it's even a matter of perspective, right? You can see something either as a stumbling block or a stepping stone, right? It's, it's a question of the lens through which you want to look at it. Is this going to be something that will crush your dreams and your hopes, or is this something that can serve as a springboard to something bigger or better, you know. Sort of often people will use the analogy of being in the gym or working out and how that weight and that resistance uh, from the weights um, 
helps to tone and define muscles and, and develop strength um, and, 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 and resilience in you. Um, and for me, it's, it's, it's one of those really neat blessings that, that sometimes I get reminded of in the midst of something difficult and something challenging, especially when I'm very apt to want to uh, complain about it or to, you know, whine or, you know, be upset about it. And, and then there's something that, that just taps me on the conscience or my heart that says, maybe this is not such a bad thing. I mean, it's really only bad if you see it as bad, but could there be something else? I mean, the same thing happens when I get criticism or you know negative feed feedback as 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 we put it in the workplace, and and you take a moment and say, you know, I, is there some merit to this? Is there some level of truth? Yes. And, and how can I <coughs> pull out that level of truth and apply that and take that in, as opposed to saying, oh, they think I am not good enough, and take that as a diss instead of saying, okay, there's there's something they're seeing that I'm not seeing, or at least the way I think it's coming out into the world is not the way that I intend, or at least it's not the way others in the world are perceiving it, and then saying, okay, how can I pivot from here? How can I grow from here? How can I evolve from here? Because I think sometimes there's always that tendency, but I think is being able to have that discipline and that restraint to be able to say, you know what, even though I know I want to do this or say this or respond, actually I'll react, I'm going to choose instead to, to think, to, to mellow, and then to respond in a proper way yeah, that doesn't good. exacerbate the situation, makes it better, hopefully. For the first uh, 20 years, any negative comment to me was taken by me as an attack on my person. So uh, it, uh, was, it was a interesting time because I always took it as a direct attack on who I was if somebody criticized me or made a comment that I considered negative and uh, so I quit good jobs over it I did all of that till I found out that if you have a negative comment you need to be okay enough with who you are to consider that it might be true. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> so once I started <coughs> once I started thinking that away, uh, everything changed. Mm. Because uh, if somebody makes a comment, and even if it's partially true, and even if they make the comment in a negative way trying to really diss you, uh, there could be something there that was that brought that to the front, you know. Right. So you you consider it. You can you can capitalize on that. I yeah. mean, so don't don't get uh, it. It it's always uh, uh, kind of confuse people a little bit when they say things to me that they intend to be disrespectful or uh, negative, and I don't respond in the way that they think. I, you know. Uh, so it's that's an interesting way yeah speaking of um negative feedback or or, or seeing feedback as an opportunity for improvement um yesterday was fourth of july 
anniversary of America's Declaration of Independence. Um, obviously, I think when you look at the idea of America, when you look at the, the, the conception of America, there was an ideal behind it, one in which uh, all persons are created equal and endowed, not by government or by public policy or any other institutions, but by a creator, and it's a capital C creator, in meaning God, uh, with, 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 with certain rights. Um, and I know in recent times, a, a lot of the events that have shaped and continue to shape our society and the narratives uh, that we, we engage in obviously reflects the fact that this is not a perfect country. Uh, ideals and, and ideas behind it were, were one of, of a, s a high standard to which, in all honesty, we haven't lived. But, but I think, you know, on one hand, in fairness, that we also need to recognize and appreciate the good things about this country. I mean, for me, I know this, this Independence Day means a little bit more to me. It's my first Independence Day as an American citizen. Um, and just recognizing the simple <coughs> fact that regardless of how I feel about the country, I made a conscious decision to move to this country, yes. to pursue citizenship in this country. Um, and now being a citizen, I am wedded not just to the idea of the country, not just to the ideals of the country, but to the propagation of its continuous progress. Um, and, and, and one of the things that, that, that I say is we're not a perfect country, we're a progressing country. Um, in some ways, we're better than other countries. In some other ways, we're also not better than other countries. But at the end of the day, I think if there is a recognition that as citizens, part of celebrating freedom, part of celebrating our independence is holding ourselves, not just government, because government is us. Government is a reflection of us. Our attention, our involvement, our uh, choosing to hold them accountable. Um, and so it means that um, we continue to speak the truth to each other, to, to say, look, there are areas in which we can do better, uh, and we take the responsibility of doing better as opposed to expecting the government to do better or you know the financial institutions or whatever other person or entity it's it's we cannot diffuse or disperse our responsibility into the ether we we need to take personal ownership and stake in saying this is my country and i have a role in helping it be everything that it was intended to be rightly recognizing also that we've made some mistakes along the way uh, and then it's my job to see how we can bring about some collective healing and uh, that continuous evolution you know <coughs> one of the things that about this country is it's a relatively young country mm. i mean um you know when if you talk about independence and freedom country uh, you're talking about something that's existed a little over 200 years where there are some uh, government structures that existed for a thousand years mm -hmm. so I think a lot of the ideals I, I think that looking back is different than looking forward. Mm. I think the people that 
for instance, framed the Declaration of Independence, had really high hopes for this country <clears throat> and tried to, as it went on for the establishment of the government and the Constitution, um, tried to form it in such a way and frame it in the context of progress. I don't know that they had any earthly idea how quickly that progress would happen and where it would take them. But uh, I think that that's one of the things that this country, especially in the last, this, this year, has really kind of struggled with, trying to uh, decide what is progress. Mm. You know, because we've went back and forth for the last this year that's really it's really been a difficult year uh, and, and and not because there's not enough food not because there's not enough money not because there's not enough but just because of the pressure that's been put on us uh, as a country socially uh, legally uh, politically so I'm interested to see how the rest of this year will play out. <laughs> well, it's it's been interesting, and we you know we've officially crossed the halfway mark, and um, there, there there's a part of me that is more optimistic of the second half of this year than I was um, about the first half, or really more. It was really more in that second quarter. Of, of the year because I think leading up to about March or the start of March you know it seemed pretty okay but I, I, yeah, I think the first of March yeah, that's right the, 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 there's the there's that interesting thing you said about it's it's you know looking back is always easy right it's 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 easy to see who did what how things played out you know that's it's that Monday morning quarterbacking yep. so to speak. And, and that's good. I mean, we talked about a little bit of this last week, you know, being able to look through the rearview mirror and see what is behind you. And, and, you know, for me, one of the things I personally say is, you know, what lessons can we learn from that and apply? But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always hesitant when I hear people who just want to sort of end everything, you know, tear down the systems, you know, rebuild from scratch. And, you know, it, it, one of the things that... Because that, that yesterday, and, and, and this is something... I hadn't really realized, and it, it was in a conversation with a friend. You know, I, I went back to look at the founding documents and, and looking back to those words that all men are created equal. And, and I don't think sometimes we give sufficient credit to the founding fathers as to how deliberate, how intentional, how really, how much care they put into the framing of the country and in, in, in everything that they thought of. I mean, for, for starters, this is a constitutional republic, and they chose that specifically for, for, for different <coughs> reasons, even something as simple as the choice of the Electoral College. And I know that there are people who have problems with the Electoral College, but when you look at, when they considered all the things that could go wrong if you had a free and pure democracy, you know, what that would mean for, for example, smaller states, and how do you, you know, balance off against that. But yesterday, what struck me in, in, in revisiting the founding documents of this country 
was that phrase that all men are created equal. And, and it struck me because I think I and maybe perhaps other people have made the mistake that when we read created equal, we think people are equal. And, 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 and I want to be very careful and very precise because I think they also were very careful and precise. And at least this is my interpretation of it. We are created equal. Doesn't mean we are born equal. Doesn't mean that we grow up or are raised equal. Doesn't mean that we accomplish equally. But we are created equal. And the, equal, the equality that is in the creation is by the creator. And that's where it, that's, that's, that's the end of it. Be beyond that, life takes over. You know, I, I, I come from a family and, and, you know, I've got five other siblings. And while we were all loved, I believe just as much by our parents, we all had different experiences. I mean, in the same household, we received the same meals, w got the same quality of education, got the same parental attention, but our lives took different turns. I mean, some people are better at certain things than, than others, and, and, and some people struggled with certain areas than other people did. And that's just the, the, the truth of life. But I think then that what that means then is, is that... There is, there is an element of us going back to the creator because out of him derives our being. Out of him derives our purpose and our meaning. And as a person of faith, as a person of Christian faith, of faith in Jesus Christ, that, that inspires me to, to, to want to ask the question, well, why did they go that far? Why did they include that creator piece? Uh, and, 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 and what does that mean? And, and for me, it always means that, look, at the end of the day, while we strive to use government and democracy and the political process and, and, and the social contract to further our, our goals and ideals and our aspirations, we cannot forget the source from which everything comes, and it's the creator. And for me, it's, it's always a reminder to go back to the creator and seek out, hey, the stuff that we're doing does this fit with your purpose? Because I think no matter how well-intended I am, if I am pursuing a purpose that's contrary to God's will for my life, there's going to be problems there. Um, and, um, and I will never really truly accomplish all that he's intended for me. And so, you know, I think, I think there's an <laughs> invitation in there to always go back and seek the creator and, and, and seek out <coughs> his purpose. Because I think that there was something, you know, he had in mind when he inspired these imperfect men, very, very imperfect men, to pursue a more perfect ideal. It always amazes me that under the pressure that they were under, uh, that they could come up with such a, mm. uh, a concept. I mean, uh, and, the, and the thing is, is, it's like I said this morning, once, just because you declare your independence or declare your freedom doesn't mean you have it. Mm. I mean, actually, from it was about eight years after that before the battle was over. And I think a lot of people uh, don't realize how much that struggle has continued over the years. But hopefully, uh, we take that into account as we go forward with our own lives. Uh, created equally, 
doesn't mean everybody has the same thing. Mm. Uh, doesn't mean everybody has the same ability, the same talents. Doesn't mean everybody has. It, it means that we are created by our Creator with the possibility yeah. of becoming greater than most people around could ever think. And I, th I think that that's one of the things that people need to realize. You were created with the possibility of becoming greater than you ever thought. And I, I, uh, um, I've watched people for many, many years, and I've seen people that are what I call people that like to kind of go along with the flow. Mm -hmm. They uh, don't have a lot of ambition, and I use that in a sense to be geniuses or uh, very wealthy or anything, they, they, they kind of just go along with the flow and they like to enjoy life on a, on a uh, not so hectic schedule, you know. Then there's people that are, that love to go for the goal. They go, I mean, they get up in the morning, they're ready to roll, they got uh, a purpose, they've got a plan. Then there's people and, I, and I've always wondered why, and I guess I will continue to wonder why. It seems like everything they do, they hit a brick wall. And it makes me wonder, uh, is that something they're doing? Is this something, you know, because like I said, I believe in God, and I believe when we follow the Lord, there's no such thing as luck or coincidence and things is like that. I think there's, so um, I've often wondered, you know, and, and I, I've seen people do the same thing over and over again, you know. Uh, like, I, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, people that uh, have built their house where the river floods and the house floods and it's washed away, and they build their house. In the same spot. In the same spot, and it floods, and it's washed away, and they build their house in the same spot. They make it taller, but, you know, I've, I've kind of wondered, you know, why, what possesses people to think that way? But, but one of the things I will tell you that we have to do, n not just as a country, but as personally, we're going to have to learn to adapt. And I think that uh, some of the things that we've been experiencing over the last few months are causing us to really stretch this. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if I was ready for all the stretching. <laughs> so. No things, really, it, it, things have been pretty smooth for me for the yeah. last five, six years, you know. So. No one really ever gets ready for the, <laughs> for, for the stretching, but it comes. But it comes. So, yeah. but, uh, Lord, help us. You know. uh, even churches, man, there is such a change that uh, it, it's really mind-boggling to think of how things have changed in just three months. And uh, 
everybody uh, in such a, I don't know, a frenzy sometimes to figure out what to do and how to do it. Uh, it's like uh, everybody's kind of waiting on somebody to come on TV and say, you know, we found a cure for the virus. It'll be gone by the end of the week. You know? Right. But uh, but what we've got to do is prepare for the future. And that's what our forefathers did. Is And, and, and I have to think they did it on purpose. They prepared us for the future. I don't know that they knew how fast and how far it was going to go, but they, they had a plan. One of, one of the Bible stories that has been on my mind in relation to some of what we're experiencing in the country right now um, is, is the parable of the lost son. And, um, and, and, and that reaction of the younger son to not liking the way things were under the father's control, that he just wanted to break free and sort of go his way and do his own thing because, I don't know, maybe in some way he felt he could do better. In some ways he felt that uh, he wasn't maybe really truly in charge of his life or of his destiny and um, abandoned the comfort and the security of the father's house and definitely the wisdom of the father and um, went off in, in, and did his own thing. How does that? How does that strike you? Well, let's let's frame this a little bit. Let's let's broaden your frame there just a little bit. Okay. This is preceded by two other parables. Yes, the lost sheep. Right. And you could use that same thing there, where he's saying, "This little sheep decided." He didn't want to hang out with the other sheep anymore, so he goes on. It could have been totally different. He could have been uh, eating some grass, and then everybody moved on or whatever. For whatever reason, he became lost. Mm. Uh, the lady that lost her silver coin, now, the coin isn't connected by something that's alive, except for the lady. But... She definitely searched for the coin because if her husband came home and told her to get out, only she could take only with what she had on with her or what she had. That's all she could do. She couldn't, she didn't have any claim on anything else. So she was, you know, she had 10 silver coins. That's a lot more than most people have. And then the son, <clears throat> I don't know a son yet that hadn't thought they could run things better than their father. <laughs> I remember I wanted to be an adult so badly as a kid. I became an adult, and I was like, man, I wish I could still be in Dad's house. And he yeah, now, see this thing. Now, think about this for this young man. He, he didn't have anything bad. He just wanted to be an adult. You know, I, wa I want to do my thing, you know. I, I, you know he, he loved his dad. He loved, uh, and, uh, but, you know, the first time, you know, this wasn't the first time he had wanted to do this. This was, I don't know how many times this was until his dad said, 
go ahead. You know, and <laughs> it, it's, it's like you said, I think after a while he said, uh, you know, being an adult isn't as fun as I thought it was. Yeah. But when uh, the thing about this is I think it's inherent in all men that we want to do our own thing. <laughs> and, and, it's, and when you're young, sometimes uh, your father's wisdom doesn't sound like wisdom. Uh-oh. Here you know what I'm saying. Right? Uh-oh. It sounds like they're persecuting you and holding you back and doesn't want to recognize how well you could do things. And uh, what amazes me about the, the story is the father gave him the inheritance. Yeah. He had the means... When he left, he had the means to make a life for himself. Hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if I would have told my dad, you know, Dad, I want you to give me <laughs> my portion of everything, stuff like that, he said, you know, you're, you're welcome to go, son. Yeah. <laughs> but this is my house. You're not taking money. <laughs> so, but just think, this, this young fellow left his father's house with the means make a life for himself. So even though he got his father's money or wealth, he didn't necessarily have, I think, the most important ingredient, <coughs> his father's wisdom. Because I think there is a special wisdom in the father choosing to let him go off. Because oh, yeah. you're right, the father, it was his, it was his, the father's. It was his estate. It was it, his money, his trust fund, whatever, whatever way you want to look at it, it was his. He didn't have to give. I mean, some, some scholars would even argue that the, that the second son had no claim whatsoever to the inheritance. And even if he did, you know, by definition, an inheritance is something you get upon the death That's of, correct. Of, of the father. And so, in a way, it's, it's almost like saying to the father, I wish you were dead <laughs> so I can get my own thing. Um, and I would love... I really do believe that this was not an easy decision on the father. And like you said, you don't get the impression that this is the very first time that he asks and the father acquiesces. It seems, or I get the impression he's been asking repeatedly. Um, and, and I think the father, you know, sees something that says, look, this son was, he's headed out anyway, right? But there, there is perhaps a chance for him to learn something here. There is a chance for him to maybe perhaps grow. Um, and so by offering that blessing of, okay, you, you, you want it, here it is, here you go. Um, and then the audacity of the son to follow through too, because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, there are people in the household, there are citizens of that city, of, of that town, of that country, who are seeing this stuff. Because he he packs up all that he has and he and he and he, and he heads out and they're like, yo, you you really gonna do it? Um, I remember my dismay um, growing up in Nigeria. Um, you know, very rarely did you have kids who wanted to leave the home because there was a great deal of dependence on 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 parents. And coming to America, I, I was shocked culturally as to how many 
young persons yes, at age yes. 16 or 18 <coughs> were so ready to leave home. And here I was at 16 with my parents' blessing in pursuit of higher education was in a different country, right? But would have done anything and everything to have mom and dad constantly present, taking care of me like they had been in the preceding years. And so I, I remember having conversations or with myself when I saw some of my age mates who you know, we were like, oh, yeah, I can't wait till I turn 18 and I'm just going to run off and, you know, I'm going to get a job and get my own apartment. I'm going like, why would you want to do that? Like, why would you want to do that? That That is not fun. That is not smart in any way. Um, and, um, you know, I think, that again, the, the, the father's wisdom is is cannot be overstated here that, that, that he sees something. And I think you referenced something similar with the founding fathers, that there was a wisdom to, to what they put together in the founding document that I'm not sure that we completely do yet understand. Yes. I think we need to spend a little bit more time trying to figure out, you know, what, 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 what they meant and what they intended. And, and again, yes, 100%, these men were not perfect. These men maybe perhaps didn't even live up to their own ideals at different stages of their life. But you cannot deny and take away the wisdom that they had in the way that they framed and put this country together. Um, and I think for those who are very quick to want to break away from it or to tear it down or to you know, be done with it, I will say to them, be careful what you wish for. That's right. You very well might get it. Um, and, and then what? And this, this, and this, uh, this father, I, I love the story. Like I told you before, it's one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. Um, the father, I believe, knew that his son needed to try his wings. Hmm. He knew, and, and you have to understand, at that time, this did not happen. I mean, this father steps aside outside of all other precedent but it's because he cared about his son so rather than break that relationship with his son i think this father i think this son was treated well all his life and you could say the son was a bad guy i i, I really don't know that i just think that uh, most young men i've seen have wanted to be the boss, you know, and uh, this is kind of what he wanted to do, uh, and he probably had visions of how he could uh, do a lot of things if he was somewhere else. Don't uh, downplay the, you know, and, and I'm just saying because I wasn't there, but I'd like to have been there because. He probably had some friends that were telling him, you know, your dad's never going to give you, <laughs> you know. Mm. Uh, so, but uh, the father, I think, loved his son so much that rather than completely break the relationship, he let him go. And that's a lesson that I think some of us fathers today in this country need we need to realize that we sometimes have to let something go before we lose it. 
Mm. And uh, sometimes we hold on so much because we think we know better. And uh, I, uh, I'll go back and talk about my father again. My father let my brother and I try things, even though he knew we were going to fail. And uh, I think uh, the father here, I think he knew his son was going to mess up. I don't know if he knew that he was going to come back. I know that he wanted him to. And I, I believe that every day when his son was gone, uh, I know what if, if this would have happened to me, I would have been angry and my son would have left in anger. And, you know, but I, I don't think it happened that way. I think, I think the brother might have been angry. <laughs> but but uh, uh, I, think the, I don't think the father was angry. I think he was uh, very loving and kind as he let his son go. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, then the young man, uh, I'm sure he was really thrilled with having what was quote-unquote his, what was quote-unquote due him, and then uh, to go to, uh, you know, the Bible says he went to a far country. Uh, I don't know how far that was, but... uh, I've, I've always wondered what made him think he had to go so far away unless he just wanted to make his mark and not be under the influence and of his father. But um, he's um, wasted his money. So, so what I feel that the, the, the son from the get-go missed something important. And as, as a son myself who um, recently has lost his father in recognizing the, the inheritance is not so much the stuff. That's part of it. There's also another important part. There's a responsibility, yeah. a responsibility for the family name a responsibility for that heritage, for that legacy that has been passed on from from fathers to fathers to their sons and to their sons. And, you know, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but one of the things that always that I've heard that, 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 that struck me, especially it's, you know, when you're born, you're given two names. The first name is yours. Do with that whatever you want. The last name is ours have a responsibility to that that's good um and so he got the money but he also there was a responsibility attached to that because if he if things had followed the natural course or the natural order the father would have passed and he would get the money the estate the name and the responsibility then there's a responsibility with 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 the estate i'm there's a good sense that this was quite a lot of money that he yeah, got. Yeah, I, I think this... I right? think and this is a lot of money that could do a lot of good, right? 
but there's also a lot of money that came with a lot of responsibility. And I think maybe that's part of the reasons why he, he went to a distant land. Because I think if he was in the same city, he would always be reminded. Yeah, that's true. Maybe perhaps <coughs> not by his father or his elder brother, but by his neighbors and by his kinsmen, that this this is not what you're supposed to be doing with an inheritance. And I think he very well knew how he was intending to spend that. And, um, and, and he goes off there. I think the other thing that's peculiar, I think, I think listening to the voice of friends over the voice of the father, um, because I think in some ways there was an influence of his friends to, to say, hey, you're a man now. Uh, like you said, let's go strike it off on our own. Let's, let's go somewhere where we're not known. And I don't know if they tried investing. It, uh, probably not so much. At least the older brother said he spent it on riotous leaving. Yes. Um, um, and so he just goes off and, and he does that. But it's interesting how the whole time he shunned the voice and the instruction and the advice of his father and instead listened to his own as well as also the advice of his friends, almost in a number of ways, uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, right, who rather than listen to the advice of the elders who had advised his father, instead, you know, listened to, to his friends um, and, and decided to sort of strike it on his own and what could have been him keeping a hold of the kingdom instead has the kingdom rent apart from him, save the grace of God that gave him the, you know, the, you know, Judah and the, you know, and, you know, otherwise, you know, he would have lost completely everything. Um, and, and I think that's, again, another perfect situation of grace coming in. You know, the son hadn't done anything to earn this. You know, all the work, all the effort had been done by his forefathers and his forebearers and his father right there ahead of him who had kept the family name and kept the family wealth and grown it. And yes, he may have helped work the fields or tend to the, you know, to the flock, but, you know, there's the responsibility piece that, 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 that he was choosing to run away from. He wanted the blessing and not so much the blesser. He wanted the rights and not the responsibility. And I think the flight to uh, a distant land was very necessary for him to literally escape that responsibility or the shadow of the responsibility so he could do as he very well pleased. And he did. So, so he does that, and then the money goes, and shockingly, the friends go with it. And then a famine shows up, um, and in the midst of this famine in a faraway land, he doesn't have the, the cover of his father. He doesn't have the protection uh, of his father. Uh, and so he, he seeks out whatever employment he can have, and there is none to be found save tending to the pigs, which culturally is, is, is taboo. It's not yeah. something that um, a Jewish person um, should be involved in. Um, and it's not so bad enough that he's tending to them, but he desired to eat the leftovers. That's how bad um, things, things get. And he hits rock bottom. He comes to his senses, Scripture tells us. I, I like that scripture. <laughs> he came to his senses. Uh, but I, I give the young man credit. At least he tried to do something. Mm. He, he, got, he, he got a job, even though it wasn't something that would, uh, you know, that was culturally accepted. I mean, he was trying. And I think that's a part of his coming to his senses, that 
And I, and I think, you know, I remember when I moved out of the house. I moved out of our house when I was 15. Uh, and, and I found out that uh, my clothes didn't iron themselves. <laughs> Who would have thought those things? And Food didn't just magically appear? Dinner didn't just magically appear. Three times in the day, it was just right there waiting for you. And uh, so, you know, within a, a couple of weeks, I had I'd begun to rethink my decision. Mm. But uh, it was interesting. Uh, also, during that period, it was it, it was real interesting. But um, if young man was trying, what what I wonder. When he came to his senses, you know what he remembered? He remembered his father's love. And I think that that's, I think that's a message for fathers today, that we should treat our children in such a way that they remember how much we love them. Preach on that one. And how we, how we treat the people around us. Because he he reckoned, he remembered his father, but what he referenced was how his father took care of the servants. Mm. Even the servants in my father's house better than have plenty to eat, and and so uh, fathers need to hear. That's how they treat need to treat their children, so that they remember when they do come to their senses. Uh, there was a. Big deal going around some years back. You probably got in on the about the tail end or middle of it called Tough Love. Well, you know, it might we, still be going around. Yeah, in well, some ways right now. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think uh, any. Anyway, I think that's foolishness. Most of it, not all of it, but uh, you you can be tough, but you can't ever let your children presume that you don't care. And uh, I think that this young man knew his father cared. And so when he started to make his way back, that had to be a very humbling decision to make. You know, I'll go home. I'll go to my father's house. Because, you know, he knew his brother was there. Right. The community was there. Everybody knew what he was Everybody, yeah. He knew everybody was there. But I'm thinking his brother, you know, I'm pretty sure those guys had had more than one little go around before already. Yeah. But uh, he knew his brother was there. You're right about the city. He knew that was there. But he decided to go anyway. And uh, today, it is hard to find people that are humble. Mm. Uh, I have seen fathers that would let their families go without because they were so proud they wouldn't ask for help. And uh, to me, humility is one of the greatest attributes a man can have. Uh, I think the macho image that has been, uh, and, and, and honestly, you can still be macho but be humble. And uh, some people have the idea that humble means weak. 
But I think it showed a strength in that young man. When he turned around from where he was at and headed back home, uh, actually, I think I can preach a message about that on the way home. And just think about some of the thoughts that probably went through his head on the way home. Mm. You know, I've <laughs> I wasted my inheritance. I, you know, and you you can have a lot of regret over something like that because you recognize that. Uh, I, I actually knew a young man that had gained. Uh, a lot of money, well, a million dollars or so, when his parents were killed in an accident. And uh, um, to be honest with you, he, he, it probably uh, only took him a year to go through that money. And, uh, of course, once you start living a high lifestyle, uh, and you have to go back to realizing you don't have the money pay the rent, uh, you know, you, you've, you've had the nicest cars, stayed in the nicest places and all of that, and now you're going to go have to find a job. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's a humbling experience. So, but uh, that he, on the way home, he thought about that. But I think something he wanted, Linus, I think he just wanted his father to I think he wanted to say, hey, look, you know, I get it. <laughs> I understand now. But that's, uh, but I think the, the person with the lost sheep went and found the sheep. He left the 90 and 9. They weren't in any danger. The ninety-nine. He he went and found the lost sheep. Usually, that sheep is portrayed as a little lost lamb on the edge of a cliff, with you know, with Jesus reaching over the edge to get it. Uh, I don't know that it was a lamb. I think it was probably some older sheep that decided it wasn't going to go the way everybody else has. <laughs> so he goes out there, and uh, and so he he goes to get it. The woman that lost the coin, she had to light a light, sweep her whole house, clean up. Yeah. The lost son, the father had to have love and patience and wait for the son to come back. Now, uh, it's interesting when you put the three together how those different pieces, how the father had to wait with love and longing for this lost son to come back. Yeah. I think everything within him said, I know where that boy is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go get him <laughs> and bring him back. I know he's starving, you know, and all that, but, uh, but he didn't do that. And by doing what he did, he made a man that would carry on the legacy yeah. like no other. You talked about humility. I associated the son's maturity with also teachability. Yeah. Um, and it, it's sad because in, in society today, 
I see a lot of people who are unwilling to admit that they've made a mistake, or even worse, unwilling to change their mind when they've been presented with new information that disproves something that they previously held true. We see that, sadly, with politicians, where there's new information and there's nothing wrong. A as a matter of fact, sometimes maybe it's not so much their fault because we, when they change their mind, we don't even want them to change their mind yeah. because we aren't willing to change our minds. And so when they change their mind, we, we think they're flip-floppers. But isn't what we need, isn't what we want, what we expect, that when people are confronted with new facts, new realities, that they are amenable to that reality? You know, if, if we thought this social program could fix this problem and then we realize, I don't know, five, ten years after doing it, it doesn't make it any better, okay, we try that, let's try something else. But instead, it seems like, and in, in the political culture, unfortunately, just reinforces this, where rather than be teachable, flexible, amenable, people become more rigid and dig deeper dig and deep. plant deeper roots and say, oh, no, this is my one stand and this is the hill on which I'm going to die. And I think that there's a lot of progress that we can experience as a society politically, but also a lot of progress that we can experience individually when we always remain teachable. One of the things, going back to earlier comments we made, is when you're faced with criticism or when you're faced with negative feedback, being able to stop and ask the question, is there something I can learn from this? Is there some level of truth in here that can shape you know, what I'm experiencing? The son thought he was smart. He thought he was wise. Probably wise. He got what he wanted. He went off, followed his path. Reality gave him a different perspective. He finds himself now from a rich young man to uh, a pig... What do you call it? A pig tender? Yeah, pig tender. Yeah. <laughs> right? But, but I love that he, he recognizes, he hits rock bottom, and he recognizes, man, what am I doing? Like you said, my father is a loving father. And even though I have lost the right or the, 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 the privilege of being a son, because, you know, like I said, going back to, in my mind, in asking for an inheritance while my father is alive, I've pretty much said my father is dead. Yeah. And I've taken off and I've gone off. And so I don't have any claim to sonship because the right has been given and I've squandered it. I may perhaps have a chance at servanthood. Um, and, 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 and the willingness to now swallow his pride and make that long journey back. I mean, the first time when he left for the far country, he probably left in a caravan with camels and horses and probably now he's coming back on a long, treacherous trek, you know, and it's going to show, right? He doesn't have the beautiful clothes and the, you know, ornate outfits that he probably left the household with. There is a clear contrast. This is not the same son. And it's interesting because I love what you said. He left a son, but he came back a man. He came back a man with a lesson and an insight that would last him his whole time that if his father had intervened prematurely, and this, again, is a word of caution to those of us who see people losing their way, I think we need to be able to distinguish which people are sheep, which people are coins, and which people are sons. Yeah. Because the sheep, they can't fend for themselves. We have to go have get to them and bring, it, yeah, them, back. To bring them back. For the coin, we've got to 
there's some complicity in us because we've got to sweep our house and get things in order for them to find a place where they belong. And then for the sons, you may want to leave them be for a moment, let them learn the lesson on their own. And I think the reason why you can do that, because I know some people would say, well, isn't that unfair or wicked of the father? But I think the father knew. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. <coughs> the father had done everything that he was supposed to do as a father. He had trained his children. He had taught them. He had inspired them. He had been himself an example because the son remembers the example of the father. He treats the servants even better than this. So I'll go back and see maybe perhaps he'll take me as a servant. So the father had done everything that he needed. There wasn't any guilt. There wasn't any you know, shame on his part oh no. in, in letting the son do that. You know, sometimes when people want to go, they want to go, and you got to let them go. Um, and then you know that because you did everything that you were supposed to, they will come back in due time living out that scripture. He didn't just teach his son. He trained his son. And in that moment, when the son had everything else, you know, and that's what's so important. You might lose your money. You might lose your influence. You might lose your privilege. But what can never be taken from you is the training. And in this case, the father's training of being a loving father and a good master to the servants because that's what saved the son. In his moment of desperation, in his moment of despair, he remembers the example of his father and says, now I get it. Now all I those evenings, it. all those lessons, all those taking me alongside him to the marketplace, now I understand what he was trying to teach me. He was trying to teach me how to become a man and be responsible and be accountable. And so let me do that. Be responsible. Because he was. He owned his mistake. I have sinned. I am not worthy anymore. Yeah. He was accountable. Take me back. And it reminds me of the way that God dealt with me. Uh, he let me go. I mean, I had... I was I I was wasted it all in riotous living. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> and but when uh, uh, when I decided that I wanted to go back the other way, uh, he met me. I mean. You know, the the father saw him coming. He had him bring a ring and go. I mean, he met. He went to meet him, and that's the way Jesus does. Is he comes to meet you, and uh, and he does the same thing. Uh, I guess that the son, you know what, uh, what my father would have said to my mother was this. Let him get him out of his system. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, you know, and, and, and he was right. After I got it out of my system, I would listen to what my father had to say. But sometimes, you know, my father was not a uh, wealthy man. He wasn't educated. But he had... He knew stuff that people that were very well educated didn't. 
And one thing I knew about my father that always I still remember when <clears throat> when things got scary, I'd reach up and grab a hold of my father's hand because I knew that he wasn't afraid. Hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know that that's really true. He might have been afraid too, but but he never showed it, you know what I mean? So I knew as soon as I could get a hold of his hand that I'd be okay. And I think this son knew if I can get back to my father's house, I'll be okay. Yeah. I don't think he realized how okay he was going to be. Uh, and I think that even more established in him. The love of the father. The love of the father. That, yeah. And I think it went through... You know, went through the went through the whole thing. So the father welcomes him back, and what inspires me about the father is, like you said, I don't, I don't think the son had even finished his his apology, and and he calls over, you know, this is my son. He's back. Put 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 the robe on him. Put the you know the the ring, and 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 let's throw this party. What what I what what I love about that, and I hope that my generation can take away from this. We, there's a lot of talk about what's referred to. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Cancel culture, uh, and it's the idea that we, when we uncover something unsavory, something unpleasant about someone, someone made a a racist, sexist, misogynistic comment. Someone did something wrong. Uh, oftentimes, it's many years since it's happened. We we're ready to cancel them. Oh, you know, they need to be fired from their job. They need to no yeah. longer have that, you know. And, and and one of the things that's always hurt me is that there is such a casualness with which people do this, and they do it also without any any path to redemption. And and and, and it bothers me because don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that people should not be punished or chastised for 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 wrong actions. We We've all done wrong things. If, if you, if anyone used, you know, a fine tooth comb and went through my history, they would find things that I've said that I've done um, that I am not proud of, and that I perhaps would be very embarrassed yeah. uh, to come out um, into the public space. But one of the things I always encourage when these things happen is using minimal necessary force. Right. So don't get me wrong. If someone's committed a crime and the law says there's a punishment for that, then we subscribe to that. In other instances where someone has violated a social contract, let's ask ourselves, is this the right punishment for them? Will this make them resentful? Or would this give them, when we exercise some level of grace and mercy and offer them a path to redemption, does this give them a chance? Because, you know, we can't just cancel everybody because, like I said, we've all done some dirt. You know, even for those of us who might seem saintly, you know, someone said every saint used to be a sinner. That's right. You know, and every sinner, you know, every every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And so for those of us who <coughs> seem good and decent, we have a past that not maybe everyone knows. And for those who aren't so decent, there's a future, right, in which they can be better and uh, be more, you know, uh, contributing, better contributing members of society. But I love that the father, in spite of the insult, right, because, you know, people were talking, you know, he heard about it, you know, just even seeing him in, in the way he was, you know, 
he came in through the city. It's not like he flew in. You know, he walked through the city gates and, and, and came in. So people are seeing, people are talking. And rather than say, hey, son, you broke my heart. You, you rebelled against me. You took my inheritance and you went off and you squandered it. You've given me a bad name. You've made me, you know, a, a laughing stock among my friends. You know, he instead responds with just joy and, and recognizing that this son could be so much more. I think and you see that reaction in the, in the brother. I think he was embarrassed and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, and he's upset. So the brother uh, is upset that all of this to-do was being made about. But he says something that's really important. He said, your brother was lost and now he's found. You know, like he's raised from the dead, man. You know, you're talking about the socially, social cancellation. I never heard the term, but I, I want to mention something about it. Sexism, racism. In this, this country is made up of different states. And there's a wide range of people that live in this country from one, 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 one uh, shore to the other shore. And so what would be an inappropriate remark in one place would be not even thought of as sexist or racist in another. Mm. And so I think uh, some, of the, some of the people have defined their sexism and racism along lines that... Uh, that don't allow for anybody to, you know, some people need to learn. I mean, it's not that they're bad people or they just need to learn. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've talked to people that did things and said things. Well, where they came from, everybody did that. You know, it was, uh, I've had to tell people, you know, we don't talk like that around here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And well, I'm sorry, but I didn't know. Well, now you know, so do better. Start start doing better. And uh, I've had it with people on the job, you know. Uh, uh, and so I've had to have uh, conversations with people when they made sexist remarks or even racist. I, actually, I don't. I didn't hear the remark, but uh, I don't doubt that. The and said it or did it, but but uh, I had to you know have a have a a little sit down chat that just told people you can't talk like that. Yeah. You don't live fifty years ago or seventy years ago. You live today, and today you can't talk like that. If you do, I'll find somebody else for your job. <laughs> and uh, but people can learn. And uh, I, I think that uh, if you don't give people the opportunity to learn, uh, that's, that's not good. Plus, uh, I think you have to have some agreement on your definition you know, of racism. or uh, that's, that's, That term has been thrown around uh -oh. for so long that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not sure. I, let, 
you gonna go there? No, not no, right no, now. no, no, not right now. But but that's an interesting because because you know I think I think we can definitely come back and, and talk through that because I've actually had that conversation with multiple people that I've I've, I've said. I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist because it does exist, but it cannot be so broad and ambiguous a definition that everything from the worst to the most innocent is captured underneath it. Right. You know, so, you, you know, let's be nuanced, right? Again, so that, again, when, when, when it is, let's call it that. But I don't want to give so license that we use it so freely and so casually that we, we now make people so afraid to be themselves or, or fear the fact that they might make a mistake and end up making things maybe right. perhaps worse than, than, than it should. But you're right. A, a conversation that I think we can, we can visit in a future yeah. episode. But the takeaway here for me on the, the, the lost son is I'm almost inclined to believe that the father knew that his son was going to come back, hmm. and uh, out, you know, notwithstanding something happened to him, but uh, because I think he knew his son was a good person, and a lot of times when people are uh, being hard to get along with, if we're not careful, we don't recognize they still could be a good person just because they're hard to get along and uh, at, at one time or maybe multiple times doesn't mean they're a bad person could mean they're going through something mm. and this young man was definitely going through something uh, and then he didn't realize what he was really fixing to go through yeah. but uh, I think uh, I think it's one of the best stories uh, I know it's in a, I, I know it's uh, called a parable in the Bible, but I think it's been lived out over and over in so many ways. In history. So so here's the interesting thing I find about this, because I think in a number of ways there's a part of me that feels that this story is a bit mislabeled. Because I think everybody stops when the younger son comes home and ascribes to the idea that there's only one prodigal son. The older brother now here's an interesting character. So while I, I had the chance to revisit this story, I found a number of parallels between the older and the younger. Slightly different, but similar <laughs> underlying tendencies and spirits, if you could call That's it that. That's right, yeah. So you've got the, old, the younger son, who is all about free, carefree living, and the older son is bound by just religious work. He's just about, yeah. I mean, he's when we encounter him, he's coming back from the fields. The younger brother is finding himself uh, 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 going to a distant land away from the cover of the father's house. The older brother is choosing to stay outside of the father's house because he refuses to come inside into the party. The younger son reaches out to his friends to get advice and inspiration and not the father. The older son goes to a servant to ask him what's going on instead of seeking out his father. That's true. Who was right there. And so even though one person 
does it in the most blatant way. I mean, he takes it to the end of the extreme. The older son is just as prodigal because he doesn't seem to have learned the story or the lesson of the father, the father's <coughs> love, the father's mercy, the father's forgiveness, the father's grace, because he is very adamant that this son has done the family name wrong and, and why are we celebrating? And then the father says something interesting. To paraphrase, we celebrate those who have come home. We celebrate not because he's lost. We celebrate because he's realized he's lost and he has come home. Come. Yeah. And so the father goes on to say, everything that I have is yours. Yes. I mean, look, son, at any point in time, you want, you want, you want to throw a party? Throw a party. You want to kill a sheep, a lamb, a goat, yep. a bullock? That's right. Everything that I have is yours. You can do that and you're always with me. But we're not just going to throw a party because I think the story ends there a little bit abruptly because I think Jesus, there's something interesting. When we started, you talked about, we went, this is a third parable yes. in Luke 15. You start with 100 sheep, one out of 100. Ten then coins. 10 coins, one out of 10. One out of then two sons, one out of two. But with the ending being open-ended, it's one out of one because now I'm the son. I'm the son. And Jesus is asking me, do you realize that you're lost? Yeah. And my response would want to be, but I'm in the Father's house. I mean, I'm part of the church. I've been part <laughs> of the church all my life. My, my mother was involved in the church. My grandmother and grandfather. I've, I've, I've always done this, and, and, I, and I serve. I, I, I do missions, and I do worship, and I do this, and I do that. But the Father goes... Yeah, but you could still be lost. And I think we'll be shocked to find out how many lost people we have in the house of God. You're because right. we are slaves to religiosity. We are slaves to doing work. We are slaves to uh, justifying how hard and how diligently that we've done. And but we will never get that party until we come to the recognition like the younger brother did. I am lost. Yeah, I haven't gone to a far distant country, but there's so much resentment in my heart. There's so much angst I have against my brother, not just my literal brother, but everybody, yeah. everybody else, right? Because think about it, that, that, that was really what irked him. It was like, look at, I mean, think about that. I know different times as a believer, I'm like, I work hard. You know, it's, it's tax season, I'm trying to get my taxes done <laughs> ahead of next week, and I'm like, wait, wait, why... I, I work hard. I, I do all these things. And, and there are people who aren't even bothering with, they didn't do any work and right. they're getting all these credits because, you know, TurboTax takes you, <laughs> God bless TurboTax. TurboTax takes you through all these credits. Yes, and, yes, and yes. I'm looking through all these things. I'm like, wait, all these credits are for people not really doing anything. I That's mean, right. look at me how hard I work. It's like, I deserve this and I'm ending up with a bill and they're going to end up with money in their pockets. You know, and so there's a bit of resentment there in, in within the church. You know, there are people who I've you know I felt they didn't deserve that. I mean, it's like they're being rewarded for being sinners and coming back home. But I've been here the whole time. Yep. And I'm not getting the same recognition. And I've been toiling and toiling and toiling. And here they are, they come back and they've got a book deal, they've got a speaking gig. You know, we're celebrating them. They are the 
the people who have the places of prominence in you know what about me even at my job I'll, I'll be honest i mean this is a this is a you know one of the things we talk about is you know when people leave the firm you know someone pays them more money you know 10 20 percent more to to recruit them and sometimes they choose to come back and the firm pays them even more money i'm like wait hold on I, hold on a second i've been here i've been diligent i kept the fort you know i never quit on you yeah. you took care of the team when i w- when they left we were shorthanded and I did my job and their job. Right. And you didn't give me a raise, you didn't give me more. But now this person says they quit and you are f- scrambling to see, let's see if we can match their offer. What about me? And so I think that's that reminder that maybe truly I am also a lost son. And the question is, have I recognized that I am lost? And have I come to my senses? And am I willing to seek the father's forgiveness of saying, I am not worthy because I have not acted as a son. And here is, here is the realization that the young man came to. And I think that that's important because a lot of times people in church get caught up in doing good too. Mm. And you've got to be careful. I'm not saying that's not just saying that um, and, and I think this is where the elder son was at he, w- he, he had been there he had been doing everything he had been taking care of everything and the younger son was off having fun uh, but it uh, uh, it got him upset when they're going to have a party for him I, I think that what we need to realize is we should care if people are lost. Whether they're ones we need to go find. You know, I've heard people say you need to we need to be going out there and finding everybody. Uh, whether there's we need to go uh, clean up our act and look for them, what, or we've got to wait on them. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is we've got to live all three. Uh, and you've got to know the difference. And, and this is, I think, one of the things for, from a, a minister's standpoint is knowing the difference. Mm. Because I meet some ministers. Uh, I don't know if you were. I think you were with us when we went down. Uh, I don't know if you were there that time on Sunset Strip in Hollywood middle of the night, early morning, mm-hmm. right, I was inviting there. people to come. And uh, one of, the, one of the, the ministers that was on the bus uh, went around and actually intimidated people into praying a prayer with him. You know, and uh, uh, I'd actually talked to some of those people, and some were close but not ready. Others... One, one young man that I talked to, I don't know that he had really any idea. He, he, he was a Russian man. He had not been here long, security guard. I got to talk to him for a little while. So the thing is, is we've got to recognize those that we need to go way out of our way and go get, others that we need to find, and then we need to recognize those that we need to wait on. So... Uh, And um, 
I think it's important for, I, I think more than anything for me right now is we've got to reestablish that care that people do come to the Lord. We've got to care. I mean, we care a lot about social things. We care about if people have enough to eat. We've got to care enough if people have clothes and uh, a car. And, and we, as a church, try to help in those situations. But we also need to realize that people need the Lord. Yeah. They need to come to the Lord. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, I pray myself that I become more sensitive to is that people do need the Lord, even though right now a lot of people think they're done. Yeah, and I and I think there's. Uh, I'll go back to the the, the 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 discernment, recognizing that some are sheep, some are coins, some are sons, and responding appropriately. Yes, yes. That night. You're right. There were people who weren't ready. And, and, and I know that there was a part of me, and I'm sure us, that would have loved nothing better than to have spoken with someone and they said, you know what, you're right. I'm yes. coming back with you. And, and how much of that was just us wanting to get the joy or the we did something good today? Yes. Because yes. this person was on the street and they're not. But I'm not sure if that was truly sincere or the point of it. Because the point isn't so that we can pat ourselves on the back on how much we've done because we would have missed the point. The point is, do you love people enough to keep coming back? And I think one of the most impressive things about these wonderful men and women who served in that ministry at the Dream Center was the consistency yes. and the dedication to keep coming back. Because we were only there for one night, and there was a level of disappointment. Because, like you said, you spoke with a lot of people, and you could tell in their eyes, you could see it, yes. you could hear it in their voice. They knew they weren't where they were supposed to be. Right. They, you knew they wanted more, and you knew deep down they really, really wanted to come with us and say, I'm done with the street life. I'm done with... Cause it wasn't healthy, it wasn't safe, it wasn't productive. I mean, a lot of them were being abused, not just by the elements, they were abused by, by pimps and yep. by people yep. and just... But the level of love that you need to have for people and recognizing that that is what would make you come back the next night and see that same person doing that very same thing they told you they didn't want to do again um, and still love them and still hope for them. I'm reminded we, we, we as Christians, we, we say so much about the faith that we have in God, but we sometimes don't speak about the faith that God has in us. That's good. That's true. There is a great element of faith that I think we're missing out on not just a great story or a great revelation. I think we're missing out on a great promise of heaven when we don't fully appreciate the fact that he had and still has so much faith in yes, us. Yes, that's right. Because when he died, he knew not everybody would come. He knew not everybody would accept. But he did it all the same. And he is sort of cheering us on interceding at the right hand of the Father on That's our right. behalf, saying, right. give him another chance. 
you know, give Linus another chance. I know he prayed that prayer, but, but, but give him another chance. And he has so much faith in us, and we need to start exercising that same faith in people. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and trusting and believing that they are deserving of our faith. They're deserving of our hope. They're deserving of our love. They're deserving of our consistency. Um, and we may not always have to go out to them to where they are. Like the Father, we may just have to step out in the evening and look into the distance and pray a prayer for them and ask that God would orchestrate situations and circumstances that would guide them back home, bring them to their senses and bring them home. Because I don't know about you, I'm ready for a party. It's a party not about rebellion, but it's a party about recognition. It's a party about repentance. It's a party about return. And there are so many of God's precious children who are out there. And rather than condemn them, rather than despise them, rather than try to guilt them, make them feel bad, let's just love on That's them. That's right. Love them. And let's just have a welcoming tent. Because <laughs> I think that's what the father, the, the son recognized too, is that even though I had done wrong, there's a welcoming tent in my father's house. For yep. me. And I think that's what the church needs to be, is to say, look, I understand. You might not be ready for the church. You might feel like, you know, you got a few things to figure out. We'll love you now and whenever you're ready. Yeah. And when you do, we're not going to judge you. We're not going to point fingers at you and tell you all the bad things you did. Because Lord knows you know it more than we could ever know. But instead, when you come in, yeah, you're stinking. Yeah, you're not looking tidy. Rather than cover our noses and look the other way, we'll put a robe around you, a ring on your finger. We'll throw a party, a celebration, because you've come home. So yeah. I'm looking for those homecomings. Yeah, We're overdue a lot of those. I think so, too. I think so, too. I remember uh, we were at, uh, at a service at the Dream Center, you know, I'd always told everybody if somebody came off the street and they hadn't had a bath in two weeks, you know, you still ought to invite them in and sit yeah. beside them, you know. Well, I got my chance. <laughs> uh, I will say that the young man sat there, he listened. And, uh, of course, there, those of us that were nearby were praying for him, you know. But he listened, and right before, you know, the altar call, he got up out but, but he was very attentive so I always believe that he came back again another night and he's probably still there on part of their team now that's good well homecomings aren't we all prodigals that's all we can say to people come home <laughs> come home they should and we'll be waiting with open arms just like the father loving on them it's been a pleasure as always sir Thank you so very much. I think, um, I don't know about you, I, I think I'm going to go back home and I'm going to read this one more time. Um, I love having these conversations with you because um, in talking with you, we, we discover truths that have always been there. Maybe we didn't always particularly see it that way. So this thank is, you. This has really come to be a, a highlight of my week. So thank well, you. Bye. Appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone for listening. Um, this has been the Covenant Podcast. Thank you. And I uh, invite you to join us again on another conversational journey. 
as we experience the word of God through our personal lives, our yes. stories, and our aspiration. Stay blessed, stay well. Listen to you next time. <laughs>